Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another FEPS Talk. My name is Hedwig Justo, and I'm Senior Policy Advisor at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. And I'm here today with Tanya Fayon. Tanya is a member of the European Parliament and uh, of the uh, Socialist and Democrat group in the Parliament. She's also chair of the European Parliament Delegation for Relations with Serbia and part of the EP mediation team participating in inter-party dialogue in Serbia. But above all, I think uh, what you need to know about Tanya is that she's very committed and very passionate towards the uh, European enlargement towards the Western Balkans. Thank you very much, Tanya, for being here with us today. And thank you so much for sharing with us your views about uh, European enlargement. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, For quite some time, enlargement has been placed quite down in the European Union's agenda. Uh, there was first the, enlarge, the so-called enlargement fatigue, uh, then the attention of the European Union was devoted more on, uh, to internal crisis, the financial crisis, the migration crisis, Brexit and so on. Um, we even arrived to a point that the word enlargement was a kind of taboo, something better not to talk about. Last year, things seemed to, uh, to turn for the better. Uh, the um, European Commission released its new strategy towards the Western Balkans and uh, uh, very important Greece and uh, North Macedonia finally reached a um, groundbreaking agreement solving an, uh, the long-lasting issue on the, on the name. Um, so things really seem to to uh, move for, uh, forward finally towards, um, towards uh, enlargement. Um, last October, uh, time seemed to be ripe for uh, starting accession talks with two countries, North Macedonia that I just mentioned, and Albania as well. Um, but suddenly, uh, during the European Council, a few countries, uh, led by the most vocal of them, which is France, uh, decided to block the process um, to the surprise of, of, uh, of many people, of many observers. Uh, did you see this coming? Hmm. Um, no. If you ask me about France and blocking the start of the accession negotiations with North Macedonia and Albania, no. I didn't see it coming this last um, moment when both countries met all the conditions and even further that North Macedonia did a historic agreement uh, with Greece on the name issue. That was something that was a really bright example of a very wise and courageous leadership in the region. But just I would like to come back on where you started um, on the enlargement because European Union, you are right, was for many years dealing with its own crisis um, and enlargement was not very high on the agenda. We went through several different crises. Uh, the EU we was facing, we just finished one crisis, there was another one and enlargement, therefore, um, no one really dealt with it because internally we had difficult issues. At the same time, we faced quite a deterioration in the countries of the Western Balkan because um, they felt that um, we are not um, discussing that there is an enlargement fatigue. Uh, there was not a lot of dynamism. 
But right um, a year, I would last year, uh, with a new enlargement strategy, um, there was growing awareness. We have to do more. We had a year of um, elections, which is usually a time that is also lost. Um, and now we got a new commission and the new European Parliament. Now, I am still very worried following closely what is happening in the region of the Western Balkans. What happened with the North Macedonia and Albania was a big mistake. It was a mistake and those that blocked one or another country have to carry responsibility potentially for instability in the region. I still strongly believe that the EU leaders have to start and give the green light to both countries as soon as possible. And that is not May next year in Zagreb. This is too late. It has to be earlier. It has to be in March because mm -hmm. we know that um, in North Macedonia, we have a government that had to step down, a technical government and new elections next year. And all that for the reason that some other country, in this case France, because of internal reasons, blocked it on its way. And just to add, finally, we lost a lot of credibility as European Union, as institutions. And it's not only in the case of North Macedonia and Albania, I can also say we lost it even before in the case of Kosovo, because I'm also... Um, uh, rapporteur in the European Parliament for visa liberalization for Kosovo and the country long ago fulfilled the criteria we promised, but we didn't deliver. So it's at stake also our credibility. Yeah. Well, I, I do agree. It's a question of credibility. It's a question of reputation uh, towards the Western Balkans and beyond that, because it's our word, uh, the promise that we made th 16 years ago, which is uh, at stake here. Let me, allow me to go back a little bit to, again to, the, to France and to its motives, because France is actually um, uh, using an argument that sounds old to me. It's the deepening versus widening debate that uh, was already popular in the, in the 20s before the, large, uh, the enlargement. Um, do you think that Macron has actually a point about deepening before widening? I mean, uh, Europe has been facing lots of problems. In a, you, you, I said it, you said it, lots of problems in, in, the, last, uh, in the last decade. And Macron uh, has been saying that we need to, to deepen first. He's also proposing um, a revision of the procedure for enlargement. Uh, do you think that we actually need one? Look, one thing is that um, I agree that we have to change or review the accession process because it's not working the way we want to see it. But we can't change the rules during the process. Once we promise to countries that they have to do something and once they do it, we will deliver we can't change during this process. So here I would disagree with um, the role Macron is playing and with the decision he did last year. I would, I mean, it's not last year, recently. I would also say that um, there are different rumors around why France did so. One can be he lost the commissioner, another can be internal issues. 
nothing most probably to do really with North Macedonia or Albania. He maybe judged only the sentiment of French people. But this is not the leadership, because um, you can't decide um, and change the rules in the middle of the game. It's unfair. Now, we know, and you mentioned yourself, that we have non-paper, Macron, on how to move on with the enlargement. Um, I carefully read it, and I fear that it will make the enlargement process even more difficult, the way he's proposing. With too many new benchmarks, we have already today the focus on rule of law. With every single chapter, we are opening and closing. But the paper he's proposing or the how to review the accession process is putting a lot of limitation for the countries to access European policies, to access European funds. And even the final goal, European perspective, it's only once mentioned in the paper, um, the final membership of the country. So I'm skeptical. It can be a basis. There are different ideas around how to make it uh, function better. Also, we as progressives are drafting our own document, how to make enlargement process uh, more tangible, more dynamic, and also give better credibility and push to the countries of, of the Balkans. Because we have quite challenges in the region, not only that we have economic and political challenges, brain drain of young people leaving the countries because of lack of some European perspective or future for them. Uh, we have um, less and less media freedom, less and less democracy, growing nationalism. And uh, Western Balkan became already a playground of different geopolitical interests in the absence of strong European approach. So I would agree that we need to revise or review how to move on with the enlargement process but bear in mind that we have to um, stay focused on the Balkans. They need us and uh, we need them. And we have to make this enlargement a success story. It was always a success story. And I think that with the new commission, um, I hope um, and with the new strategy, we will deliver. Speaking about the, the, new, the new commission, um, uh, the new president uh, said, reaffirmed the European perspective of the Western Balkans, I'm quoting, and sees an important role in the continued reform process across the region. Uh, we have a new commissioner for neighborhood enlargement, the Hungarian, which, uh, whom uh, the SND group decided to back in spite of many concerns. And we have a high representative who, again, comes from uh, our political family. Do you really think that there are the premises for a step forward? What's your hunch? It's maybe too early uh, to give a clear opinion on that because they, uh, it would be unfair. They just started their work. Uh, we have uh, the good news is that um, the high representative, uh, Boril, uh, one of the first visits will be Kosovo. And for someone coming from Spain, this is, uh, I would say, a strong message um, and also a message of commitment to the region. That was one of, one of the critiques so, that were made. Yes, um, and I do hope that with his progressive approach and awareness that uh, the Western Balkan has to be in our focus because it's part of Europe, it has always been part of Europe, and it's in our common interest to integrate them, not only for peace and stability, but 
for economic political cooperation for fighting all the common challenges we have around us it's a continent europe can be just um, once united much stronger on the international field but um, i was critical i i admit when we had to deal with a candidate commissioner designate um, from hungary coming from close circles of fides and prime minister of orban especially knowing um, that um, um, Orban was the one who in Hungary um, didn't manage to really um, respect the European standards and values when it came to rule of law. And then it was difficult to imagine that someone coming from close circles of Orban could Uh, monitor the rule of law in the countries um, of the there Western Balkans. There is also the question of Gruevski. This skepticism and Gruevski, certainly, who is still in exile yeah. uh, in Hungary. So these are very reliable concerns we have on the table. We also exchanged the first commissioner-designate. We have now um, a diplomat, very skilled one. I had um, a chance to speak with Oliver two or three times. I know his cabinet and it gives me Um, I would say some assurances or hope that he will be committed to the region, but the time will show. I mean, he um, is um, now twice in the European Parliament. He was presenting um, his view on the Balkans and um, let's see, it's too early to predict. But the good thing is that we have now quite some events ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Um, not only as a political group and a family, we will do early um, next year in, um, or we will do early in January maybe, a summit in Zagreb, like pre-summit. I hope that in March we can really see the green light for North Macedonia and Albania. And I then the next step in my eyes should be that the summit in May would just Um, update the situation and then we already come to the phase of having country reports with some new elements. And um, yes, um, at the beginning of the year we should also have some new methodology on the table. So there is um, now time that we are um, discussing how to move on with the enlargement, but the awareness um, is there. Okay, I think on what, the side of all institutions. What do you mean with new methodology? Um, new methodology in terms of uh, revision of the accession process. Mm -hmm. It's clear that something will have to change because it's not really working. Only the fact that we are mostly discussing opening and closing the chapters Chapter. is something that it's not tangible. We have to integrate the countries of the Balkans at an early stage. Once maybe they close some chapter, We could already make some integration. So a kind of sectorial integration. Which Something like that yeah. could be one of the ideas that they would earlier feel in the process itself that they are becoming part of mm -hmm. the union and that they can have benefits. I also think we should integrate them in a way that they are observers in the summits because when we discuss big political issues, we should also have them present because they are part of this continent. The, so there are a lot of ideas yeah, there, around how to work together. There are lots of proposals also to include them in the structural and cohesion fund. Do you agree with that? I think it's very important. It's not, of course, everything about the money because um, um, European Union certainly the biggest donor in the region, especially, and also the European countries. 
And often you hear it's not everything about the money because we have to create also through the reforms an environment that can ensure health investments and the money can be spent well. But certainly it's helpful that through the process we will surely focus still on chapters 23, 24, fight against corruption, especially in political elites, um, establishing rule of law, um, and so on. This is very important, but at the same time, we have, through the chapters, opened the door in some sectorial policies that they can feel that they're step-by-step step mm-hmm. becoming our reliable partner. Um, you sp- spoke a lot about the rule of law, mm-hmm. but uh, too often in the past years, the European Union has given the impression of turning a blind eye toward, uh, to corruption and uh, um, authoritarianism uh, in order to get stability. Mm. So stability and border security rather than fundamental reforms. Uh, do you think that the trend is changing? Do you see any hope in that? Because also I'm afraid that uh, the decision uh, not to open, the non-decision to open and negotiations um, with North Macedonia and Albania also give a negative impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, two countries which have made the most to uh, introduce the reforms they were asked so, and they did it successfully. The European Commission certified that they have done it, have not uh, started negotiations yet, and they are put in, on a, uh, in standby. Isn't this a negative sign also to the countries which should pass reforms? I would agree with uh, what you said or what uh, some critics to the institutions are saying that we too often um, support also authoritarian regimes and don't speak with uh, too critical voice. Um, I'm dealing a lot uh, recently with Serbia and uh, in Serbia one can hear a lot of voices that there is... um, Um, no democracy, no freedom of media, that we speak about captured state, um, or rather authoritarian regime of Vucic. I say these are criticisms that exist, and we see it through the boycott of big part of opposition uh, for weeks on the streets in uh, Serbia. And they are, for the first time after, I would say, um, uh, Milosevic um, announcing to boycott the elections, uh, parliamentary and local elections that will be in spring 2020. So these are serious things that are ongoing. Um, I have to say that the last um, commission report about the progress on Serbia was rather a critical one. Maybe for the first time it was more critical than before. Um, And um, we should really be um, speaking strongly when we see that the things are going wrong. We have to um, also criticize the, the all responsible politicians if they are not delivering. It is a challenging task and an exercise. I see it myself because um, to gather all the information, um, it's not that easy and to stay reliable as a partner. Our goal as European politicians is to facilitate those countries on its way of reforms to the EU. Um, And if we are supporting the mistakes, we are not doing well for them. 
if I look now next to Serbia, we have um, Albania, also there is a boycott of the opposition. I would especially alert the situation in Bosnia and Herzegovina, where we see absolutely no progress whatsoever for years now, um, and a lot of tensions and divisions and hatred in the society, which is also the consequence of um, no clear solutions how to make country work. We have a Dayton agreement that resolved the war but didn't make the country efficient. So challenges are huge. Um, Kosovo, it's another thing, situation between Serbia and Kosovo. Montenegro looks like a, a little country with list of problems, but it's also not like that. So we have to work hand in hand with them hard. The challenges are uh, big, but at the end, I would say we have to be aware once again, there is a very big potential in young people in these countries. And we have to bear them in mind. Um, we have another challenge that you mentioned earlier, which is the fact that the region is becoming um, um, a region of geopolitical appetites for, mm -hmm. for many uh, international actors, starting from Russia, uh, which has traditional uh, historical links with the, with the whole region, but there is China too, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, that are all, and they can all offer alternative models of development and, and they don't ask for uh, the conditionalities that we always ask for, mm -hmm. respect for human rights, for rule of law, etc. Uh, how can we counter, counteract this? How can uh, the European Union turn to be for the people who are more and more disillusioned as well, not just for the, for the governments, uh, a point of reference? Um, it's a difficult question. We are all aware that we have strong influence of Turks, Chinese, uh, Arab world, Russian, Americans. Still, I would say when you talk with people in the region, especially young, they would like to go to live in Europe. So they share our European values. Um, they like our way of life, if I say. So this is one thing it's clear for them and also for, I would say, political elites that Europe is the future orientation. And the most of money also come from European countries. But you are right. On the other hand, are huge investments without really respecting the standards that you mentioned coming from the other third countries. And um, if I look the case again, I come back to Serbia. If there are some, you know, contracts buying Chinese drones or um, weapons or so on, this is a reason of concern, a big concern and not aligning the foreign policy uh, with EU foreign policy and um, not um, respecting the sanctions against Russia and so on. Um, that is why... Um, we have to, first on our side, be clear on what we want and once um, not do the same mistakes we just recently did with not opening the accession talks because then they don't believe us mm. and they simply turn their back towards us. Um, 
that's why we, we need each other, I would say, simply. One last question um, before uh, closing our talk. Since you mentioned the youth, who are the, the, uh, the energy and mm -hmm. uh, uh, the main resources, resource, I think, of the Western Balkans, but who are also leaving the region more and more. They, look, they want to come to Europe. There is a huge problem of brain drain in the Western Balkans. What would you say to, to the youth in the region to raise their hopes and, uh, uh, in, into the European Union? I meet um, a lot of young people from the region and I can say that they always inspire me with the ideas, with their beliefs and um, creativity, what they all would like to achieve. We have to focus on them, educate them in a way, bring the awareness. Um, what is at stake if they will continue following bad examples of their current political leaders in many cases? Um, they have to have this clear European perspective that they can believe. And we have a lot of good initiatives in the region coming, um, networking with young people, RICO, other initiatives that are bringing really young people from the region together, that they are breaching these, um, I would say, uh, borders in the minds of people. They should continue doing so. They are the future genera generation of leaders. It's nothing wrong if they go out, get education, but they should invest in their countries with better example. Um, and I do hope that uh, we will be able to establish conditions that they can return and they can stay back at home and uh, invest in the future of their countries. Uh, because there is, as I said before, a lot of uh, potential and knowledge in this young generation and a lot of hope. And uh, this is the region that went through not long ago through bloody wars and this generation really, really deserves a better future. Thank you, Tanya, so much for this talk. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>